Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna on News Talk. Yes, you can email the show Alive and Kicking at Newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter and Instagram. I'm at Claire McKenna Presents. Coming up this morning, Dervil O'Rourke on how to bring health to the forefront of busy, overwhelming family life. Vaughn Yates on why less people are drinking alcohol and the new trend in mood-boosting mocktails. And is the fuss around menopause necessary? I'll be joined by Una O'Hagan of Mars Pharmacy and Catherine O'Keefe, the wellness warrior. So what kind of health and wellness week did I have? Well, life over the last couple of weeks has been a whirlwind. My husband's new job, which has been remote for the last few months, changed to two weeks in the office for training, which, look, was a really good thing. But I've been like a little hurricane of work projects, nights out, voice notes, emails, pickups, drop-offs, meltdowns. Some of them were mine. Party planning, Halloween costume ordering. It has been a lot, but it has been all good stuff. He is back at home from next week, so I look forward to sharing the load and getting back to some of the things I've been ignoring, like my college course and some creativity. You can't do it all, I find. But even though I have had a lot on work-wise, I've really enjoyed the few social things that I've been doing. So I think it's really important to keep the pillars of health in check, the basics of eating well, sleeping well, managing stress and moving the body. But sometimes I find When you're just on that hamster wheel, it can get a little joyless or rather when you push yourself to meet a friend for a walk on a dark evening, when you're thinking, I don't really want to do this, but I will. Or you go to see a film and you think, am I too tired for this? You think you're going to be missing out on rest, which in a way you are, but you also get filled up with a bit of joy and social connection, which I think is equally important. And two things I went to see this week which really moved me were the Sinead O'Connor documentary, Nothing Compares. There's lots to process there about trauma, cancel culture and the way we dismiss people as mad when often they're just standing up for what they believe in. Let's just say... After watching it, I have further affirmed that I'm not going to be telling my daughter to pipe down, calm down or be a good little girl. We need fight. And I'm sorry the world wasn't ready for what Sinead had to say when she was saying it. And author Emily Pine was on the show last week and we talked around her play in the Dublin Theatre Festival, Hardest of All Women, centred around the National Maternity Hospital. Um, I went to see it. It actually took place in the clinic end of Hollow Street, obviously when it was all close to patients and not infringing on the working of the hospital. But it was an immersive experience where we got to meet a representation of stories within the walls of a maternity hospital. So I don't want to give any spoilers, but a dad waiting for news, a doctor, a woman desperate for answers. And it was a stark reminder that we never really know what's going on behind the calm or jolly exterior of people what their true stories are. And it really shone a light on that and I loved it. And on that, I was invited to an event in Vodafone this week where staff were given a range of wellness events to try out and a launch of a programme encouraging talk around mental health. So ambassadors were identified within the various departments who were open about their own experience with mental health and ready to be approached should anyone be struggling and need direction. I hosted a panel discussion with two senior members of staff who were talking about their own vulnerability and their markers for maintaining all over health And I just felt it was really leading from the top down and 
creating an atmosphere of openness to talking about the realities of everyday life. It was so refreshing to see that this is going on, especially in the workforce and not just talking and initiatives, but action plans and a willingness to build real and honest relationships within the workforce. So in many ways, it left me feeling that things are changing for the better. You can email the show aliveandkicking at newstalk.com. Now, Dervil O'Rourke is a retired athlete who competed at world champion and Olympic level. She's now a coach on Ireland's Fittest Families and at Dervil.ie, she's building a wellness community and imparting her knowledge. She's also a mum and she's joined forces with START, a public health awareness campaign helping families on their health journey. And she joins me on the line now. Hello, Dervil. How are you? I am great. How are you? I am very good. And the last time we spoke on the show, you had just sort of started or relaunched Dervil.ie. So how's it all going? Oh my gosh. Yeah, you know, it's going really well. Like we've been, the business has been live for four years. Like we're just coming up to our four year anniversary. And it's so mad because when we started four years ago, I was all like, okay, how can we make people's lives a little bit simpler to be healthy and feel well with obviously reducing the guilt and like doing it to improve your life as opposed to doing it out of guilt. Like that was a lot of how I came at it. And to be honest, it's it's still the same approach, but it's just gotten all a bit busier because we've gone through a pandemic. Life has changed significantly. You know, we would have started when telling people that they could be online doing health and well-being was maybe a bit unusual. And now there's so much of that. So it's flying along. We have a gorgeous community and what I suppose as the years have gone on, like I've probably, we've more and more people who work with us, like more and more coaches, because you, I think you need different voices. Like I've never felt like I had all the answers. I absolutely don't. I'm like everybody else, like half the time I'm drowning, half the time I'm thriving, you know, like yeah. trying to juggle everything. So yeah, no, it's going really good. And I'm, I'm very proud of it. I'm very proud to be able to pull all fab people together and have a great community together. And, and kind of, I feel like that's my role in it is to pull it all together. And it's, it's just been a really lovely place to be. And people will be heartened to hear that you get overwhelmed just as much as everybody else because they might assume that with all your experience, I mean, obviously, you know, keeping fit and, and healthy and and all that has been very much knitted into what you do for so long. But when it comes to a family, it isn't easy to always be living your best life from a health perspective because with working, school runs, after school activities, thinking then that you have to be really mindful of the five to seven a day and home cooking every meal and nailing it with school lunches. It's really tough. It's really tough. And I think, I, and maybe this might resonate with other people, but the parent I kind of thought I thought I would be versus the parent I am is definitely different. You know, before, like I have two kids. So Archie's three and a half, Daphne's seven and a bit. Obviously that bit is always very important when you're seven. Um, and like I... Oh, you know, I'd been to three Olympics, been world champion. You kind of go, how hard can it be? But the reality is it's really hard. And it's really hard whether you're at home all the time with the kids, whether you're trying to juggle work with the kids, because it, like it's our lives are busy regardless of what our day to day makeup is. No matter Because I because so many of my friends are in so many different scenarios and all of our lives are busy. But yet we all come kind of back to those same challenges where we go, oh my gosh, I'm on this time crunch of like trying to get to an activity and then the kids are tired and then I'm trying to get ahead with food. So for me, for me, I guess I have definitely given myself 
a bit of permission to there's, there's no such thing as perfect definitely not in my house and I go what what are the small things that I can do that make it a little bit easier so like my kids are like everybody else's kids like they would probably sell me for a treat you know <laughs> so I go okay like we just don't one of the things I did about a year or so ago is I don't have a lot of treats in my house I have a really terrible treat tin um it's up high and they so they just don't really go for it in my house but then if we're out and about they know like they're probably more likely to get a treat from someone or somewhere so that's one small thing like my daughter in particular wouldn't have a big appetite so if she eats treats like there's no way she'll eat her dinner and I, I don't know is it like a mum thing like you know when your children don't eat their dinner you get kind of edgy I do anyway I'm just like oh they haven't had a dinner um so that's something that's made a difference but I think giving yourself a bit of grace to go there's no way you can be perfect nobody is nobody's household is and going what are the small things you can do to make a little change that are doable within your household and the other thing I'd say is like figure out where you are so like where I am in my house is different to where other people are in their house so things that are easy wins for me might be hard in other houses things that are easy in other houses might be hard in my house so figure out where you are what are the simple things you can do that help you if that makes sense yeah absolutely I've done a real mindset shift over the last couple of years so my main goal as a parent has actually become building a healthy relationship with body and food. So I've stopped labelling foods good or bad. I've stopped saying things like finish all your dinner and then you'll get a treat or eat all your vegetables and then you can get dessert. I've thrown all that out. And honestly, if I could go back all over again, I wouldn't even use the the word treat at all. But it, 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 it but it is hard. Like I was the kind of parent that used to, you know, my kids first birthday cake was practically brown bread and I was making beetroot brownies and all sorts. And the, minute, in there. the minute they tried a real brownie in a restaurant, like they were like, good luck with your with your beetroot stuff. So, you know, there is a whole idea that once they taste something, they kind of say, I think I like chocolate better than broccoli. But it's the power you give food um, and the powers you, you give health and the way you talk about health. I try to be a little bit more relaxed about it so that it builds a healthy relationship for them with it and themselves. Yeah, that's really interesting because like I, that's something I would be very, very interested in and kind of conscious of because even coming from our community, which is all around like health and well-being, like we've, one of the things we introduced was mindfulness and like just being able to take that moment and be mindful and come at yourself with a little bit of care and consideration and it, like in this campaign one of the points I find really interesting about it was in the Make a Star campaign is Coleman Nocter um, the child psychologist worked on it so I watched all of his videos which are on the site and they're genuinely brilliant and like I find them very helpful and like one of his things was you know th- that approach to food and like the behaviours around food and sometimes as well it's giving your children at times what they need as opposed to what they want. So when they're asking for a treat, like how, and again, it's like, it's interesting that you try and cut out that word treat because I think that's, I think that's actually really powerful. I'd love to be able to do that in my house. I'm definitely going to take that from this conversation. But I think just kind of going, I, I feel for me, I had to give myself the permission to say no to the kids and not feel guilty, particularly during pandemic times when I was saying no to them for doing everything. That then I was saying, no, they, you know, you don't need that now. But I think if, I think if you can, if you can shift that and you can look at how your behaviors are and maybe how, like, I think what you did is you changed the culture in your house, which is amazing. And just being able to kind of be aware of it. Um, But I think removing that guilt and coming at it with what can you do? Like, it's funny you talk about the veg and 
like in our house that's always a struggle like so I have a thing of like you know just try like just if you just try something and if you don't like it you don't have to eat it but let's try and then not making it a battlefield I think is really important um and I've definitely slipped into that at times where dinner's gone battlefield and I love like I love food like I've written two cookbooks I'm mad into food and I I laugh when people ask me would I, would I write a a family cookbook because I go I've been that mom at the table where they've eaten nothing you know that I've cooked for them so um I'm probably not best place to write one but I, I think it's coming at that with that how are you approaching that kind of mentally and what are your strategies because again like we both know it's not that easy no it's hard and it's not the way we were raised you know it's it's different no it's not and and letting you know. them trust their own satiety level so that when they say they're full we believe them whether they're still half the dinner on the plate or not. It is, it's not easy. But I suppose there's other things we can do outside of that. Like something that I try and prioritise in my house is that we all sit down at mealtimes together and, you know, phones aren't there and we're all fully present and we all sit down. And that's something that was important when I was growing up and it's something I really keep on. So aside from us panicking about what's on the plate it's just how is the food being eaten and, and and what does that represent in the family yeah I love that because I I find in our house um uh, my my daughter like at the time because well you have to think our, our our days schedules are very different to their days as well so when maybe when we're hungry they're not hungry so like I have a thing now where my daughter might say, oh, at dinner time, like, oh, sure, I'm, I'm like, I'm not hungry. And she genuinely possibly isn't hungry. So I go, I know you're not hungry, but I just want the chats. Like, I just want the chats with you. So I was like, will you just sit down with me, daddy and Archie and have the chats? You don't have to eat anything. And the plate's there. And if she doesn't eat anything, which does happen sometimes, I just don't react to it. But then the rest of the time she might just start picking and eat, eat something. But I think making it into that kind of environment where it's an experience as opposed to a chore and something you're sitting there going, right, you have to do this now. And again, it's back to that whole battlefield. But I'd be the same with phones. I think I think screen time is something that, again, it's like, it's like you know, it's like treats, like screen time to me. It's, it's a really difficult area to navigate. And I just, yeah, I, during dinner, that's just not, I just, even if that means like I have a three and a half year old, half the dinner is going on the ground and you're just going, okay, grand, it is what it is. Take some deep breaths. Um, I'd rather do that than have the screen time because I want to be able to chat with them. But I'm saying that going, I know some people have mad days and they're just frazzled and you have to do sometimes what you have to do in a moment to get through it. Mm. And I think we all understand that as well. But I think it's maybe giving ourselves like the few minutes to go, okay, how do I actually want this environment to be and that it's not, it doesn't feel kind of like a conflict. Because I think it could, I think when it comes to food, it can feel like a conflict and that's just not a good thing. And I suppose you might be like me as well. Like I want them to grow up with that really healthy relationship with food. Like I'd be saying to my daughter, like, like she loves doing activities. So I'm like, okay, you're going to have great energy now for your activities. You're going to be so strong. Like, you know, and she's just like, yeah, I'm so strong. And like putting it, you know, framing it that way for health as opposed to weight, I think as well is something that is quite interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think you said something so key there. And the reason it doesn't happen, what you said was taking the time to think, how do I want things to be in my house? And the reason it doesn't happen is because from the minute 
you bring that baby home from the hospital, your life is upside down and you barely get it together from then on because every phase comes with new challenges and new difficulties. And there's always a lot going on in life, whatever your situation is. But I think when it comes to screen time, when it comes to family dinners, when it comes to how you're going to handle the bedtime routine and screen time, you need to have a plan in your head. And obviously it doesn't have to be rigid but you need to have an idea because I think sometimes we're half winging it. Then we hear a scary report on the news. Then we're like, oh, my God, I'm failing at parenting. Then we're kind of shouting at the kids. Then we're changing the rules. And it's a bit all over the place. Whereas if you have a kind of a solid foundation and you're kind to yourself and you just do your best, I think that's the winner. Yeah, I think so, too. And as well, that plan might be literally 10 minutes where you sit down with a piece of paper and you go, okay, I'm going into another room where the kids aren't or someone else has the kids or I don't know, maybe you're at work and you can carve out 10 minutes or maybe that, you know, you've dropped the kids somewhere and you go like, what, like what, what are the doable wins for this to be comfortable, for me to be happy? And then, you know, most of the time that's the area and space you try and live within. And there's days, of course, that it won't happen. But if it happens lots of the days, then that's brilliant. And again, it is that time, that non-chaotic time to think through, what makes you comfortable in your environment and again it's like what works in my house mightn't work in your house and vice versa but kind of knowing your own house and your own environment and what because what just flows well and then as I as you're saying like when it's chaotic going back to those parameters I think I think that's a really good thing to do and sometimes we think you almost want to be told okay don't eat that do eat that but actually Sometimes it's more the bigger thing of what's the environment and what's my thought process around this. Yeah, and having flexibility around that. I mean, as I said, every home is different and it's not about apportioning blame or shame. But I did hear an expert interviewed recently. He was a psychologist and he was talking about issues such as children falling asleep in school as they were on their phones late into the night or all the other big bad issues we hear about with older children like sexting and porn. And he said, look, Children like boundaries. It makes them feel safe. So set up a few boundaries. It doesn't mean you have to beat yourself up if, you know, you change your mind about something or there is a night they go to bed with it or you do, as you say, stick the iPad in front of a kid so they eat their spaghetti bolognese. It's okay. But putting those boundaries in place and having a foundation for what it is you want to make your family be the best that they can be is definitely worth exploring and and one we can we can certainly spend a little bit of, of time on, but I love that you're in the same vibe, absolutely, <laughs> Dervil, that we're all just doing our best and to be a good enough parent is all we can do. For more information on the campaign, you can go to safefood.net forward slash start. Dervil O'Rourke, hang in there, girl. Thank you so much for coming on. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Well, the menopause certainly is having a moment. World Menopause Day took place this week, but over the last couple of years, it's been at the forefront of women's health discussions. Now, when I first started presenting this show three years ago, I had my first guest, Catherine O'Keefe, the wellness warrior in to talk about menopause. And Catherine is in studio again. Catherine, the landscape has completely changed since then, hasn't it? Completely. And I think if we go back three years, Claire, that is 2019. And that was when the Women's Task Force was established by the Department of Health and the National Women's Council of Ireland. And that's where all the conversations started, the radical listening exercise that the government did. And all of that 
has been the wheels of change that we're seeing now, like all of the recent changes we've seen, you know, in relation to um, Novat on HRT products. We now have a quick reference guide for all GPs across the country in relation to menopause. And of course, the most exciting part is the first national awareness campaign in relation to menopause, which started last weekend. So we're in a very different landscape, which I, I think is just, I mean, it's just amazing. It's so brilliant to see the changes that have happened. And I think the last five years have been very good to menopause in relation to the awareness. Yeah, I was in the gym the other day and I was saying to a friend of mine, you know, how are you? And she was like, God, I feel like my bones are a bit more creaky and everything. But she said, oh, but I'm on HRT now. I was getting brain fog and work. Literally things were just going from my mind as I was saying it. So that's really improved it. And I just said, oh, that's great. And, you know, on, on I pottered. And I don't think that conversation would have happened three years mm. ago. So there is a real positivity to the openness around the discussion. But has there been any downside to all of this attention? I- I think we've got to keep the conversation very balanced. I think it's the awareness is fabulous. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to overwhelm. We don't want to overwhelm people with uh, conflicting information, nor do we want to scare the younger generation that are coming up. So I think it's really important to keep it balanced because for every um, rough journey or challenging experience through menopause, there's also a good experience. So I think it's just keeping that conversation balanced is really, really Really important, and I think we've all got a part to play in that. And you know, I think the end result is is that there's so many treatment options when it comes to menopause, be it medical options or using complementary therapies, etc. And we know it's so unique to every single person, and that's where I just find respect in the menopause discussions really important because, you know, my best friend might do very well on HRT, I mightn't. You know, your sister might do great on it, somebody else won't. Um, you know, somebody else may, may try using acupuncture or some complementary therapies, but it's very individual and very unique. And I think that's why we've got to be very, you know, keep that conversation balanced. And I know even if we look at the British Menopause Society, you know, they're also trying to make sure that, you know, the information that's coming out is accurate, that we're we're sticking to the clinical research and that we're really, you know, that we're not overwhelming women with the information. And I think I see that every single day where people are just like, you know, they're going on social media or they're, you know, going on Dr. Google and all of a sudden, you know, that overwhelm sets in. And if you're in the start of perimenopause, the one thing you do not want is overwhelm. So I think we just need to keep things calm and, you know, keep it nice and balanced and understand that it's an individual journey for everyone. To me, that's really, really important. And it's respectful too, right? Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes it is just as if we have accepted that it's something really bad that's going to happen and it's OK to talk about it now. And that's not balanced, as you say. Mm-hmm. But we're also joined in studio by CEO of Mars Pharmacy, Una O'Hagan. And Una, I was talking to another pharmacist during the week and she said her phone's been hopping with friends saying should I just go on HRT now just so I can miss all of, of that? So there, there is a bit of a, a panic. Have, have your pharmacies been seeing more women coming 
forward, not just in fear, but more open about talking about symptoms and seeking support around menopause. Absolutely, Claire. And as Catherine said, you know, three years ago, women would only really associate perimenopause or menopause with, you know, changing periods, hot flushes, night sweats, the classic symptoms that we would have always heard about. But now, just like you said in your experience in the gym, more and more women are associating some of the other symptoms, the brain fog or, you know, the anxiety, palpitations, even vaginal dry we would never have had a woman come in and say three years ago, you know, and talk very openly about, you know, vaginal atrophy or or vaginal dryness and talk about their experience, you know, when when having sex. We just wouldn't have heard that three years ago. So women are much more empowered. They have so much more information, which is amazing. Um, and they are asking the question about HRT certainly um, earlier, definitely earlier. But what our experience is that most women will try and you know try lifestyle changes or try a supplement first they'll they, they will ask about that first you know they'll say listen tell me about HRT what are the options they now know it's not just tablets there's patches and there's gels and there's sprays and there's vaginal pessaries so they will be asking about the different types of formulations the benefits the pros and the cons of each of those but they will also ask what are their options in terms of supplements and lifestyle changes as well. So women are much more informed. They're much more educated about this. They do go on Dr. Google for sure. And they do get a lot of information from social media. But they're looking things up themselves and they're coming in and they're asking our experts. Um, and then from that, you know, I feel that women then are educating themselves. Um, and I think what Catherine says is absolutely true. It's very an individual approach. And that's what we'd always say in Mars. You know, what, what symptoms you have will be completely different to your best friend or to your sister or, you know, to somebody you're following on social media. So you've got to look at it from an individual point of view. And I often say to women, you know, you are in the driving seat of your health. Your doctor is sitting beside you in the passenger seat. So you've got to take, you know, the lead on this. And only you can describe your symptoms, really. Only you know what you're going through day after day because the moment you went to see your GP is a moment in time and how you're feeling that day could be very different to how you felt the day before. You know, so keep a record of all of this. Go and speak um, to your GP about the different options. And for many, many women that, that we see in a way every day, they do want to try different things themselves. And, and they try, you know, not only a supplement, but they might try acupuncture or reflexology or, you know, some other alternative um, therapy. They might take up yoga. They might take up Pilates. Women are changing, making lifestyle changes at this time, which is amazing to see. Amazing. Yeah, no, it really is. Um, and it's a much nicer way to talk about it rather than the sense of panic. Like yeah. I was looking at... Um, Davina McCall had a she'd retweeted somebody that was saying I can't get an appointment with the doctor for six weeks and all the comments underneath were like I can't get HRT and somebody answered the phone in the doctor's surgery and said that's that bloody Davina and there just seems to be this this panic and yeah. I know there's been a rush on HRT yeah. and supply issues in the UK yeah. Is that the same here in Ireland? Yeah, certainly we've seen a surge uh, of demand and um, things have settled down a little bit now. So there were there was a supply chain problem coming because believe it or not, a lot of the, I suppose, the original ingredient that goes into a lot of HRT formulations comes from two factories in China. So no matter what pharma company is m manufacturing this, they get the raw materials from these factories. So if there's a supply issue there, that affects everybody. 
Um, and obviously because Ireland is a small state as well, we only have certain allocation. But I know that the government have been working hard with pharma companies um, in order to increase the allocations and make sure that we have plentiful supply. So definitely for a period of about 18 months when Davina's uh, documentary came out and of course um, there was a huge interest on, on radio as well, there was a surge in demand. No question about that. And for that time, what we've seen was horrendous situations where women, you know, who really, really need HRT because about 30% of women, Claire, have a horrendous time, you know. 10% seal through it, not a problem at all. And then for about 60% of women, you know, they have a number of different symptoms. So, but for those women who absolutely needed HRT, they were, you know, swapping from patches to gels. They were trying tablets. They were, you know, then they would go back to the patch because the gel would run out again. And they were cutting up patches. They were trying to spread them out and, you know, go a couple of days without it. So it was very stressful for a lot of women. But, you know, supply has improved hugely. Um, and I know that the government is, de- is definitely working with the pharma companies to ensure that that doesn't really happen again, you know. So can we talk then, um, Catherine O'Keefe, about what is going on in the body? Because I think that's really important for women to understand. And not only women, but anyone who lives with a woman, <laughs> be it their friend, their sister. It's important that everyone has... Mm an understanding and you like to reframe it that it's not the end of something it's the beginning of something else. Yeah and I think when I look at menopause and you look at what's happening in the body it is the hormonal changes that are happening so progesterone, oestrogen, testosterone are starting like a very merry hormonal dance until they eventually settle down into calmer levels. And it's that fluctuation that you see with the hormones throughout the perimenopause, years into menopause, that throws in the symptoms. But what I also think is really important, and because we can't forget post-menopause, Claire, it's a really important, it's the rest of your life, but it's a re- to me, menopause is an opportunity to future-proof our health for our future years. We're all living longer. So the chances are, you know, we'll all be living healthily, you know, into our 80s, 90s, 100s even. So what we do in our menopause and perimenopause years, like our 40s, 50s, 60s, we're laying down the foundations for optimum health as we get older. And that's like looking after our bones. It's looking after our heart health and our cognitive function. So To me, I really do like to think, you know, once you get a handle on the symptoms and you know what your treatment options are, that you can open a whole window of opportunity and reframe menopause. If we look at um, China talks about it as a crisis and awakening. And the crisis is definitely that upheaval that you feel in relation to symptoms. But then there's that awakening, as Una was touching on, where, you know, women might do new hobbies. They might pick up new exercises, be it yoga, pilates, etc. Or it's just a whole reassessment. It is like, um, you know, it's a time to pause. It's a time to stop and think, well, OK, you know, where am I? What what am I at? And what do I want in the future? I, I often think, you know, in an ideal world, we'd all be on our individual Maldives islands and, you know, taking things really easy and really just there'd be no stress. But obviously that's not the way life is, you know, so you're juggling menopause with life as well. And so but but I do think it's important to try and look at once you get a handle on those symptoms and know your treatment options, you will change the experience. And that comes on just changing how you look at it, you know, and and realising that there are so much, there's so much you can do in relation to supporting yourself. And, you know, even if it's HRT or it's acupuncture, you know, I always say they're never a get out of jail card 
for doing the lifestyle. You still have to do your exercise. You still have to eat properly. You know, you've got to bring all those lifestyle aspects in as well to keep the balance right. Yeah, and it does come, your 40s and 50s certainly are a very different time in your life. You are already reassessing. You've kind of built a certain part of your life, be it your family, your work life, whatever it is. And and maybe you don't want to strive as much anymore. Maybe the mm-hmm. things that worried you in your 20s don't really bother you anymore, but you still have a demanding life. Maybe your parents are aging. There mm-hmm. is a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And if your hormones are doing a merry dance, there can be a lot to handle. But you're right. If you come back to that mindset shift and putting those foundations in place to future proof the rest of your life, mm-hmm. I think that's a much stronger place to look at it. And do you think that there is a stigma involved in ageing among women. And that's part of the reason we don't talk about it, because it's been seen up until now as this end of life and, you know, your fertility is gone. And, you know, as women age, they lose their power. Una, you are somebody that has really embraced age. You turned 50 this year and you did 50 days of turning 50 (laughs) on Instagram. I absolutely loved it. You danced around Croatia in your swimsuit. You went on TikTok and you just lived your best life. And I think that's how we should be looking at ageing. Yeah, well, Claire, I just think it is a mindset change, isn't it? It is, as you say, a reframing it, I suppose. Where I get to is, you know, I I think you're you're right. There is this negative connotation that you know because your periods stop, it's the end of your reproductive years. That that is it. Like that, you know, that's what our sole purpose on this earth as women, and that's just not the case. We like we don't fizzle you know, up and shrivel away. We don't when we're here for another 30 or 40 or possibly 50 years. So it is reframing, you know, the next phase of our lives. Like this is the most natural thing. Um, you know, it's a, it's as natural as having your periods and going through your fertility years. It's just the next phase of life for women. So I think it's a privilege to reach 50. I have a few friends who haven't reached this age, unfortunately. And I have a few friends who have serious illnesses. And I... I, I suppose it's a perspective I have. And you're right, whenever you get older, you know, my children are 12 and 14 now. My whole perspective on things has changed. And maybe since the pandemic as well, you know, I really value my health now. I value the health of my family around me. You know, material things don't really matter anymore to me. And so it's it's about living what is left of your life the best way. And, you know, when you go through, I think, menopause, you know, it's one thing is the symptoms and managing those symptoms, but also just to know that like oestrogen is a protective hormone in our body as well. It protects our cardiovascular system. It protects our bone health, as Catherine says as well. So just to have that awareness of, you know, actually, well, what the, what other things can you prevent from happening? So it is a time to, re, you know, reassess and kind of, you know, you want to be in your best health going into the last phase of your life. So just to be proactive about that. And, you know, I always tell women to make sure they go and get a DEXA scan because how are you supposed to know what your density, bone density is? Whereas it's such a non-invasive, you know, uh, scan to get. It tells you exactly how your bone density is. You can do something about your bone health then to protect you against osteoporosis and osteopenia. And then as well, cardiovascular wise, again, your blood pressure is silent, clear. So is your cholesterol levels. If you know your numbers, then you can do all you can to protect yourself. So it is about embracing this stage. It's completely natural. Every woman on this planet is going to go through menopause. Every daughter that we have, every niece we have, our mums went through it, our grandmothers went through it, every woman, we're 50% of the population. So, you know, it really matters. And it not only matters to us, it should matter to the men in the world as well. And we need their support 
to get through this. That's all we're looking for. A bit of understanding and a bit of support. And it's not the end of the world. And as Catherine said, there's so many different solutions now, whether it be HRT or whether it not be HRT, there is options for every woman out there to help, you know, bridge the gap until you get through. And, you know, once the symptoms decline, and they will decline, they will decline, then, you know, it's about living the best life that you have. Yeah, Yeah. I absolutely Mm. love that. Such an empowering message. Thank you to both of you for being such absolute trailblazers in this area. I feel camera better already. (laughs) I've been one of them thinking, sure, will I just take HRT? Let's see what happens, you know, and it is. Mm. It's just a time to reset and rethink and then move on with your best life. I know you have a book coming out next year. Catherine, will you come back in studio and tell us about it then? Yeah. Catherine O'Keefe, The Wellness Warrior and Una O'Hagan, CEO of Mars Pharmacy. Thank you so much for talking to me today. You're very welcome, Claire. Now, the Virgin Mary, Ireland's renowned wellbeing bar, has launched a brand new mood-boosting cocktail menu to continue its socialising revolution. It's one of a kind menu has been expertly designed to take visitors, they say, on a flavour journey filled with natural highs to stimulate the mind, body and palate. Well, they had me there. So I've invited them in, Vaughan Yates and Alex Morell from TVM Bar Collective. Thank you very much for coming in and bringing all of this stuff with you. And it's interesting Drinking in Ireland is actually on the decrease. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I mean, globally, drinking alcohol is on the decrease. I mean, we still drink, um, but drinking alcohol is going down uh, globally. Alcohol sales are have been declining for a while now. Um, but, you know, premium alcohol is still consumed and that's growing uh, because people are spending more money on the things that they want. And if you think about it, alcohol actually is, is really a flavor amplifier and people should really drink it to carry good flavour. Um, but our bar, of course, has no alcohol. So we are seeing uh, people that don't want to be associated with alcohol, who do not want to drink that at that particular evening, coming to our bar and trying new and interesting drinks. And last year, we, we split our menu. When we reopened our bar after COVID, we split our menu and we, we served around about 50% alcohol-free drinks and 50% these new mood boosting drinks that that we could create because we had these products that came in that had mood boosting properties in them. So the botanical um, ingredients that gave you certain types of feelings. And over the last year, the sales and the mood boosting side of things has gone, has rocketed. So we've decided that we were going to go or put all our chips in and, and create a menu that is fully mood boosting. And it's a, it's a world first. We don't think anybody else out there in the world is doing this. Amazing. And Alex, you're the designer of the, of the menu and it's just great to have other options. I mean, over the years, I've dipped in and out of, of alcohol and I don't want to just sit and drink sparkling water all night. I don't want to drink soft drinks. I think we're all getting a bit more conscious of either our health and wellness or that we want to do things the next day. We won't, don't want to just be nursing a hangover on the couch but we want more choice, don't we, of, of what drink we're going to have on that night out. Yeah, I think uh, I think the pandemic definitely accelerated people looking into how they were drinking and what they were drinking. So moving away from, especially drink, being at home all the time, realising that the consumption was quite high. So even the people that just want a break now, they've got so much variety in the products that they have. But also the knowledge of, I mean, you can see it growing now in Dublin. Most cocktail bars will have a non-alcoholic offering. 
if it's one or two drinks, whereas five years ago, you'd get a juice, maybe a, maybe a light beer. I don't want a sugar-filled mocktail exactly. at all. So what are some of the ingredients, these botanicals that Vaughan alluded to there? Yeah, so you've got uh, a mixture of adaptogens. Adaptogens work in a, in a similar sense that um, antibiotics will. So you take them quite regularly, quite frequently, and kind of microdoses, looking at things like ashwagandha, damiana, these are all herbs that can bring the mood down, can bring the mood up, depending on how you mix them. We use lots of tea. Tea is, is essential. Vaughan was mentioning earlier about carrying flavour. Tea is kind of our replacement of the tannins that you'd find in wines and whiskey. So we still got that mouthfeel that carries tons of flavour. Um, we use lots of peppermint, which is a nice karma, chamomile. Um, but yeah, it's all about how we bring these ingredients together, whether it's via teas, via cordials, just to bring that extra kind of layer of mouthfeel. So you are going to mix two drinks today. What's the first one we're going to try? So the first one is one that we're quite proud of. It's called the Dirty Vespa. Now, this is our kind of take on a classic martini. Now, a non-alcoholic martini should be impossible because it's all alcohol, essentially. So what we're Yeah, and it's is, a good sharp slap in the face, isn't it, a martini? It is, yeah. It's very boozy, very uh, hard-hitting. But with this one, we've done a, uh, an, olive, an olive cordial, so it's kind of like a dirty martini. We've used three or four different uh, types of non-alcoholic gins. Um, and then we've used a little bit of uh, CBD to bring that kind of relaxing, soothing sensation. Um, so I'm going to stir that up for you in a second. OK, well, you get mixing there while I ask you, Vaughn. I mean, realistically, after me drinking one drink, am I going to feel different? I mean, are people coming into the bar one way and, and leaving another way? Because that's the traditional way of drinking alcohol. That's why you do it. it you're exactly right. And I, and I think after one drink, I think you begin to get the kind of feelings that uh, these botanicals give you and then we see people leaving the bar in a very different mood to when they came in so after two or three drinks they are feeling the feelings and they feel more relaxed they feel more open or they feel more um, calm if that's the type of drink that they are drinking so I do see uh, in the bar this change that happens when from when people arrive you know to when people leave they get more animated for example if they're drinking kind of upper drinks or they just kind of start yawning if it's late at night and they and they drink uh, drinks that may have valerian in them or or ingredients that help calm them down and and just help them relax so we do see it and uh, we believe that this is a a real revolution in terms of the way that people are drinking and it's great that it's coming from Ireland because it's a real positive message for Irish drinking, you know, mm. that, that we here in Ireland are creating something on a global stage that is different and and, and really uh, a new way of, of drinking different. I know. I remember being in um, LA a few years ago and, you know, all the, the T-shirts that are sold along Venice Beach. Thank you, Alex. And they had like Irish yoga and it was just basically people in various drunken poses like vomiting or falling around the streets and look it's a bit of crack everyone's like oh you know Irish have a pint have the crack part of it's quite positive but then on the other side part of it's quite negative so I like that you're you're changing it up a little bit so here we go what's a dirty Vespa dirty Vespa yeah okay we're all having one I like it cheers oh it's a slap in the face all right tons of flavour it's still got that martini kind of viscosity that coats the palate but it's not too aggressive Get a little bit of olive, a little bit of sweetness, a little bit of tartness. And it's part of the experience, isn't it? When I think about going out, I mean, for years I didn't drink, but then I felt drinks improved. So I liked the experience of a cocktail. I liked the experience of a big gin and tonic, whereas years previously I hadn't been into it at all. I hadn't found something I liked the taste of. But this would do me. This would absolutely do me. I don't really need the manging head the next day or (laughs) the fumbling, you know, with my car keys in my hand in the back of the taxi just... 
hoping I'll make it before I, I fall asleep. This is this is what you need. It's all part of the experience. It is. It's about giving people feeling and flavour. You know, people don't want to go out to um, to kind of take things away. So if you think of alcohol free and where it was, it's all it was all about no alcohol and no this and no that. You know, and it's um, the language is very negative. What we're doing here with this. Uh, this mood boosting menu is we're bringing things to the equation. We're bringing ingredients that replace alcohol, that give this feeling and flavor to the drink. So you're getting something from it from a flavor perspective. You're getting something from a feeling perspective, as you would with alcohol, because alcohol is a functional drink. You know, coffee is a functional drink. It makes you feel a certain way when you drink it. So what we're doing is we're taking other ingredients from around the world and we're putting them into our drinks, into our cocktails, to give people that feeling and to carry flavor. Well, that gets the thumbs up from me. So what are you going to mix up next for us? So next up, we're going with um, one of our cocktails called the Fresh AF. Now, this is a light, easy peppermint cold brew cocktail with a little bit of cucumber um, and a really nice product called Sea Arc, which is a blood orange and uh, samphire non-alcoholic gin. So very coastal, but with some nice, bright kind of citrusy notes. And then we top it up with a kombucha, um, fixate kombucha. So it's got a nice kind of length. But it's really light, vibrant and uh, super delicious. Love it. And there is a real market while you work away with that, Alex. There is a market with this phone, isn't it? People know all these terms now. Ashwagandha, sea algae, you know, matcha. People are into these key health ingredients, aren't they? They are. They've, they've come to them through food and through supplements. And now, you know, we're, we're taking them and bringing them into drink, uh, which is, which is you know, very progressive, I think. You know, it's, uh, it's tuning into what people are doing out there. And and making it really, I suppose, sophisticated in terms of the way that the flavours are combined. As what you said earlier is, you know, people's impression might be, oh, I don't want to drink, you know, a non-alcohol cocktail because it's going to have a lot of sugar in it to replace the alcohol. But that's not the case. We're combining a lot of different flavours. Working really hard, Alex, working really hard to combine a lot of different flavours here to create a well-balanced cocktail, as you get in the best cocktail bars around the world. Um, and and. To, as I say, you know, to carry that different types of flavour, but not not be full of sugar. You know, mm. our, our drinks are roughly half the calories of their alcohol equivalents right across the board. And even with something like kombucha, I mean, I still think much as it's become a bit more mainstream, it's still a very particular kind of person that's going to have their own scoby in the corner that they're going to continue to feed. Whereas to have it on a night out is a whole different story. And I suppose we can't take from... The experience of coming together with friends. I mean, that's also seriously mood boosting, isn't it? Regardless. It is. And I think that, you know, part of what we we talk about when we talk to people at the bar is, you know, some people might have a placebo effect from it. Some people may have a real effect from it. And I think that, you know, a night out is more than the alcohol that's in your drink. A night out, of course, is about the environment you're in, the people you're with, the music that's playing, the conversation you're having. And really drink is 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 part of our socializing culture all we're doing is just removing a small component in our cocktails and replacing it with something else yeah and you're going global with your bars and this is what you're really trying to have that you know it's an experience so the lighting the mood the music the menu the cocktail menu that's available it's an experience to go out it is yeah and it and it we want people to to come you know to our bar in Capel Street you know Capel Street is According to Time Out, the 22nd most coolest street in the world. Um, and uh, we want people to come down to Capel Street and we want them to come to our bar and really this winter try a different way of socializing. You know, um, 
come in and and experience what it's like to have amazing cocktails. We are one of the the best cocktail bars in Dublin. Um, and and you know whether alcohol's in it or not, our drinks are very complex. They are they would work well on any world stage, and I think that uh, people would be really surprised by the types of drinks that we serve. Yeah, well, that one's absolutely delicious as well. So both of those, I'm giving absolutely the thumbs up. Cheers to Cheers. that. Alex Morel, bar designer, and Vaughn Yates, TVM Bar Collective founder and co-owner. Thank you very much for coming in. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So that is it for Alive and Kicking for this week. My thanks to my producer Aidan McKelvey and Hugo De Silva who was on sound and thanks to you for listening. I will see you next week. Alive and Kicking with Claire McKenna Sunday morning at 8 on News Talk.